You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. As we began our journey through the book of Exodus last week, we saw God's providence in chapters 1 and 2 through the misery of the Egypt of the Israelites to the midwives who wouldn't kill the babies, to Moses' birth and life, to the murder of the Egyptian by Moses, and to the Midians. And Exodus 2 ended with these words in Exodus 2, 23 to 25. It said, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. So these are the days that Moses is in Midian. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. We talked about the idea that help was on the way. And in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, God begins to put in action his plan to rescue his people from Egypt. And here's the plan in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. Let me give you the outline. In verses 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we have Moses' call and commission. We know this to be the burning bush experience that we'll talk about in just a second. Then the majority of the section is Moses' excuses of why he can't and God's response to Moses' excuses. That's in verses 11 through chapter 4 and verse 17. And then we end chapter 4 with Moses' journey back to Egypt and God's faithfulness to his people. So let's begin by looking at chapter 3 and verse 1. And you're going to need your Bibles today as most of the references will just be the, the, the reference on the screen. I won't have the actual verses on the screen today. So be ready to just turn in your Bible to these different uh, sections of Scripture. So in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1, help is on the way. And it goes like this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. So now we get to hear whose father-in-law is Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he had led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So what we find is that Moses has been a shepherd for these last 40 years. That he's been taking care of uh, his father-in-law's sheep. Now, what's interesting about the fact that Moses is a shepherd is that if you go back to Genesis chapter 46 and verse, 40, verse 34, 
And, and Jacob is coming to Joseph in Egypt. You remember the story how Jacob goes, or Joseph is sold into slavery, eventually brings his family to Egypt. And as he's bringing his family to Egypt and they're going to meet Pharaoh, this is what, ja- this is what Joseph says to his family to say to uh, uh, Pharaoh about what they do. He says to them, you shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that we may dwell in the land of Goshen. Listen to this last sentence. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So it's interesting that Moses would go from being in the house of Pharaoh, growing up under their tutelage, and then moving to the the wilderness, to Midian, and he becomes a shepherd. The very thing that the Egyptians despised. Moses does that for 40 years. So he's keeping sheep in the wilderness. And then it says in verse two, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So imagine the scene that Moses is seeing here. He's led his sheep out here. He comes to this bush and the bush is on fire, but it is not being consumed. That would be a sight to see. And you would probably stop and be like, I got to figure out what's going on here. So look at what he does in verse three. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight and why the bush is not burned. So like any good man, he's going to investigate it, right? Like rather than getting away from it, it's like I got to push into this a little bit and see what's going on. Why is this bush on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire? And then the Bible says in verse 4 that when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, he started coming close to this bush that was on fire but was not being burned that God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So Moses, in response to God, says, hey, I'm I'm right here. I'm, I'm here. And God says to him then, I want you to take your shoes off of your feet, your sandals, because where you're at is holy ground. God wanted Moses to understand that only those who are clean and holy can come in the presence of God. And so taking off his sandals was a means for him to say that. Like, listen, you're not holy, so you need to take your shoes off so you don't bring any unholiness or any uncleanness into my presence. And so Moses takes his sandals off and God says to him in verse six, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of of Jacob and look at Moses's response and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God he knew at that moment that he was in the presence of God and in Exodus chapter 33 we find later that God says nobody can be in his presence and live And so Moses knew there was something different going on in this moment as he took his shoes off and then said, I can't even look. And so he hid his face from the presence of God. He, He hid his face from the burning bush. When God speaks to us, he speaks to us through his word and our proper response should be, here I am. 
You see, from time to time, I hear people say, I wish I could have a burning bush moment like Moses. Preachers will get on this burning bush idea and they'll be like, you need to have a burning bush moment with God and pray that you'll have a moment like that. And I would say, that's not a good idea to have a burning bush moment with God because to be in the presence of God is to die, right? No one can be in the presence of God without experiencing death. That's why he turned away. And if we were having burning bush experiences, we would still be under the law. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna go back to the Old Testament, right? Because of Jesus' grace and his goodness, because of God's grace and his goodness, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to be buried and come back to life. And so now we can be in the presence of God, not because of our goodness, but because of Jesus. We can be in his presence. We have direct access to God through the person of Jesus Christ. So if you want to have a burning bush experience, here would be my advice to you. Open your Bible and say, here I am, and read it. That is your burning bush experience. We don't need God to speak to us today. We don't need special revelation. We have all that we need in the Bible. And so that is our call today is not to have a burning bush experience that God would speak to us out of the cloud or through the pizza or from however that God would speak. We simply open our Bibles now and we say, here I am. And then we read and God will speak to us. This is an incredible gift. I don't have to search the stars, right? I don't have to lay out a fleece anymore to know what God's will is for my life. I open the Bible. I say to the Lord, here I am. And I read the word and he speaks to us. So this is a unique moment for Moses, right? And we need to be careful that we don't put ourselves in it and say, we need to have a burning bush moment where God will speak and say, you should marry this person. You should go here. You should do this. I would encourage you before you seek those things and don't even seek those things, open your Bible, say, here I am and read the word. And I guarantee you, God will direct your steps. So Moses has this experience with God. And then verses seven through 10, God lays out for Moses the commission that he is going to do. Let me just read for you verse 10. It says this, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. So God says to Moses, I wanna use you to deliver the people out of the hand of Egypt. Then we move to the main section of these two chapters, and these are the five excuses that Moses gives to God. So God has said, I want to use you. It begins in verse 11, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the five excuses first. Then we're going to come back and see God's response to these excuses. The first excuse is found in verse 11. Moses says, to God. After God has had this burning bush experience with him, and he has said, here's the commission, you're going to go deliver the people. This is Moses's response. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses says to God, I am not fit. Who am I? I am not good enough. 
I mean, Moses had to have a lot of courage. Because you think if God spoke to you through a burning bush, like if you had an experience like that, take your sandals off, don't even look at me. And then he says, this is what you're going to do. And you're like, uh, who am I? Right? Like, I'm not enough for the job. That's Moses' first excuse is, I am not fit. Then God responds to him. And then in verse 13, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses' second excuse is, I'm not smart enough. If I go there and I do stand before them and they're like, what's the name of the God that has sent you? I don't know that I'm going to have the answer. I'm not smart enough. I don't know what to say to them. Then you jump to chapter four and verse one, and you find his third excuse. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So Moses's third excuse is I'm not effective. What if they don't believe me? What if I go there and I do all this stuff and they're like, ah, you're not who you say you are, right? You're not gonna, you're not effective. You're not, you don't have the ability to do what you're saying that God is going to do through you. So Moses says, I'm not going to be effective. Then in verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses knows he's overcooking his grits. So he starts with, oh my Lord, on this one, right? That's a, a term of authority. He's saying, I know your position, right? I know that you're God, but I'm not eloquent enough. Here's what he's saying. I'm not gifted. I'm not gifted. My speech is not very good. The idea is a heavy tongue, a heavy mouth is the words he's using there that he, he's not gifted to do what God is calling him to do. And then the last excuse is found in verse 13 of Exodus chapter four. And Moses finally really says what he means, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. The last thing Moses says is, I'm not willing. His last excuse is, I'm not the guy for the job. It's like we finally get to the heart of Moses' excuses. He's listed all these excuses out and now finally he's like, okay, you need to find someone else. Like, I know you're responding to all these, but I'm just not willing to do it. I don't think I'm the man for the job. If Moses is the main character of the story of Exodus, we are pretty discouraged at this point, right? Like we hear all these excuses and think to ourselves, this is our leader, right? This is the guy that's going to lead us out of Egypt. This is the guy that's going to stand before Pharaoh. This guy that says he's not fit. He's not smart enough. He's not effective. He's not gifted. And he's not even willing to do it. This is our man. Because he knew he was insufficient to do the task. Moses is coming 
clean. And this is what I love about the Bible. Moses is the author of Exodus and he could have left all that out. He could have just jumped to verse 18 of, of chapter four and Moses is, went back to Jethro's father and he goes, right? But he puts all of this in the story so that we can see that God uses imperfect people. Moses doesn't have it all together. This is encouraging because you're in a room full of people who don't have it all together. Can we not say that there's been moments in our life this week that we have said these very words to God? As we have talked about our being a husband or being a wife, as we have talked about raising our kids, as we have looked at our jobs, as we have talked about friendships or schoolwork, there's been moments that we, like Moses, have said, I'm, I'm not the man for the job. I'm not the lady for it. We have said things like, I'm not smart enough. We've said things like, I'm not effective. There's, no, there's nothing really good about me that would make me effective to help people. We, we've said things like, I'm not gifted that's not my gifting or I'm not talented in that way. And let's be honest, for some of us, we've gotten to the place where we just say to God, I'm not willing. Like, I know what you're telling me to do, but if I'm gonna be dead honest with you, God, I'm not even willing to do that. But we remember as we go through this historical narrative that the main character is not Moses, right? The main character is who? God. So we go back through the text and we see God's responses. We see the main character of the story and how he responds to Moses when Moses says all these excuses of why he can't lead the children of Israel out, why God steps in and says, this is, this is what I believe. So Moses says, first, I'm not fit. Who am I? And chapter three and verse 11, and here's what God says in verse 12, I am with you. Verse 12, he says, but I will be with you and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God takes the focus off of Moses and puts it on himself. He's saying to Moses, it's not about what you bring to the table. It is that I am at the table with you. It's not about who you are. It's about who I am. Imagine trying today to get access to visit the queen of Buckingham Palace. And you were to go there and they were to ask you who you are. What are they asking what gives you the right to see the queen? For us, we would have no right, right? Live in Gladstone, Missouri. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like that ain't gonna go to the top of the list there. But if Kate Middleton goes and they say to Kate, who are you? What gives you the right to see the queen? She says, I'm with Prince William. Her, it's who she's with that gives her the right to have the access to the king, to the queen. And in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, the thing that sets us apart is who we're with, 
not who we are, but who God is and who Jesus is and the fact that he is with us. We love the Great Commission, and it is a great commission for us to follow and be obedient to. But I think we often miss the last sentence in the Great Commission. Because it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. And how does he end it? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What does he promise the disciples? And what is he promising us? You may not be fit, but I am with you. The presence of God is with us today, church. This is good news. So Moses says, I'm not fit. God says, I'm with you. Moses says, I'm not smart enough. What shall I say to them? And God says, I am. Look at verse 13, verse 14. What is his name, Moses says, and what shall I say to them? I'm not smart enough. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. To ask someone his name is to say what sort of God he is. What revelation can you give us about him? Can he live up to what you are saying he is going to do? And Jesus says, listen, when you don't know what to say, when you don't feel smart enough, just know I am, right? God is saying, I be who I be. I have always been who I've always been. I am who I am and I will be who I will be. This is how great God is. We say I am and we add something to the end of it. God doesn't have to add anything to the end of it because he is. It's interesting in the Hebrew language, this term I am is only four consonants. Like they didn't really know how to translate it or how to to write it. So it's literally Y-H-W-H. There's no consonants in it. Not until the sixth century did they put consonants in there. So we know it to be Yahweh. But it's literally translated Y-H-W-H because it is the personal name of God. That he has always been, that he is, and he will always be. You know why Jesus was crucified? Jesus was crucified because he was claiming to be God. And the time that the the Jewish people got really mad at Jesus, here's what he said in John 8 and verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And the Bible says they picked up stones to throw at him but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They knew in that moment when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, their mind raced back to Exodus 3 and verse 14. They knew what he was claiming, that he had always been, that he is, and that he will always be. Moses says, I'm not smart enough. God says, I am. God gives him the assurance of his name. And that his name has the power to overcome Pharaoh and all that would come with it. It goes on in the rest of chapter 3 here to talk about how God is going to deliver them and what the, the plan will be as God delivers them after this excuse. I would summarize it and say this, that, 
God is basically saying the Egyptians are going to have a garage sale for the Israelite ladies, and they're going to get everything that they need from the Egyptians as they leave Egypt, right? So they're going to be able to go into all the houses, and they're just going to willing, it's going to be a free garage sale for like the clothing giveaway that we have. Come get whatever you need for the journey, and they'll be able to take, and God will provide for them. Then you come to chapter 4, and you come to Moses' third excuse. And remember, Moses says, I am not effective. And here's what God says to Moses, I will do the work. God shows Moses his effectiveness doesn't come from his ability, but from God's ability or God's works. He gives him three signs in this uh, assurance or this response to his insecurities. The first sign is that he asked Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses looks at what's in his hand and he says to God that it is a a staff. And he says to Moses, throw the staff on the ground. And when Moses throws it on the ground, the Bible says that it becomes a serpent. And I love how the sentence ends. And Moses ran from it. Can I get a witness in the room today, right? Like Moses knows himself well, and he writes, when I threw that baby down and it turned into a cobra is what they would assume it turned into, he ran. And everybody in the room said, I, I feel you. We're connecting at a whole new level now, Moses. I'll never forget in college, uh, I was in, in my sophomore year of college, I'm in a room with four guys, and my mom would send me care packages. And I love, I mean, everybody in my room loved when my mom sent care packages because it was a good day in our room. And so I would leave it in the box. And one time we started, we were getting to the bottom of the box, and all of a sudden we noticed there were like uh, the corners of uh, crackers and bags were eaten, Right? So obviously something had gotten into the bag and it started to eat probably mice or things like that had gotten into the bag and started eating. So of course, you know, as guys, college guys, you just don't eat that section, right? You eat above it. You don't throw the box away. You eat what else is just as long as there's no little nibbles off the corner, you're good to go. And so we know that there's a a mouse in the room. And so we start being aware of it. Well, one night we're all four in the room and we see it go along the wall. And we all sort of move back. My, my roommates jump into their beds, but it's like, hey, I'm gonna take care of this because this is eating my mom's stuff. You don't mess with my mom's stuff, right? So I'm, I get it cornered in a corner and then all of a sudden the mouse runs directly at me, like bounces. <laughs> Do you know what I did? In bravery, I jumped, no. What I did is turn, screamed, and ran and jumped. I was on the top bunk. I jumped up onto my bed and to this day, my roommates will not let that go. It's like how rude, like Moses obviously had issues with serpents and this is not a serpent, but it's close enough. You know what I'm saying? And I'll never forget that moment and they, they won't let me. For, so I feel Moses and I think you feel Moses in this moment as well. So he says to Moses, now pick up the snake. And so Moses reaches down and grabs the tail, which you know you're not supposed to grab the tail of a snake, but he does it and God turns it back into a staff. The the second sign that Moses gives him is he says, I want you to take your hand, Moses, and I, I wanted you to put it into your coat. And Moses puts his hand, he says, now pull it out. And when he pulls it out, his hand has leprosy on it. And he says, I want you to put it back in pull it out again. When he pulls it out, the leprosy's gone. 
he gives him a third sign. He says, when you go to stand before Pharaoh, I want you to take some water and I want you from the Nile River and I want you to pour it out in front of Pharaoh and that water is going to turn into blood. Why is God giving Moses all these signs? When Moses is saying, I'm not effective, why is God saying, I will do the work? What God is showing Moses is he's showing him his power. Amen. That you may not feel effective, Moses, but just let me do the work. Right? I have the power to do it. I have power over all creation. There is nothing more powerful than God. Right? There's no snake. There's no disease there is no blood, there's no water that is more powerful than God. Today, we have the power of God available to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Paul puts it this way, for the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In God's weakest day, he is still stronger than any man. And we find that in the power of the cross. This is where our power comes from, is through the cross of Jesus Christ. So Moses says, I'm not effective. And God says, I will do the work. I have the power. Then in chapter four, in verse 10, Moses says, I am not gifted. I'm not eloquent in speech. And God says, I will help you. Look at verse 11 of chapter four. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Good question. Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to speak. He's saying to, the, to Moses, listen, you may not feel gifted. You may not have eloquent speech, but I'm going to be there to help you. I've made your mouth. I will help you. This is what the New Testament talks about. When we are weak, God is strong. When we feel like we're not gifted or we don't have the ability, God is strong. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. Paul makes this very evident in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul has a thorn in his side, something that is, he feels like is hindering him in his ministry. He's saying, this is keeping me back. This is keeping me from moving forward. And so he pleads with God to, to remove it. And God chooses not to remove it. And in verse eight, it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But here's what God said to, to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Moses understood in this moment that he was weak. And God is saying, I want you to understand, Moses, that you may feel weak, but I can help you. I am strong. 
And then the last excuse Moses said is, I am not willing to send someone else. And rightfully so, the Lord gets a little frustrated with Moses at this moment. If you will look in verse 13, he says, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And even in God's anger, he responds righteously in that he says, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. So here's what God does for Moses. Even though he's not willing, God provides for Moses. God says, here's Aaron. I'm gonna speak to you and I'm gonna speak to Aaron. And you guys are gonna work as a team together. Isn't that gracious of God to provide for Moses even when he doesn't really want it? Even when he says, send someone else. Like I'd rather just stay in Egypt, live the shepherd life or stay in Midian, live the shepherd life. Isn't it gracious of God to give us things even when we're not seeking those things out? It reminds me of Romans 5, 8. When God says this, Paul says this, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God provided for us the greatest need that we had in our life, which was salvation, even when we weren't willing. We weren't just willing, we were enemies of God. And yet God in his graciousness gave us exactly what we needed in the person of Jesus Christ. And if God will provide you with exactly what you need in salvation, even though you're unwilling, don't you think God will provide for you today? Don't you think God will provide for you exactly what you need to do, what he has called you to do today? Here's what I would say about these excuses that Moses used in God's response. Moses didn't need to think more highly of himself. He needed to think more highly of his God. Moses didn't need to think more highly of himself. God never came to Moses and said to Moses, you need to have a better self-esteem. You need to to have a better self-image. He doesn't ever say that to Moses. He comes to Moses and says, I will be with you. I am. I will provide for you. I will give you the power. I will do the work. Moses didn't need to think more highly of himself. He needed to think more highly of his God. When we feel like we are not enough, you know this church, we tend to look inward instead of upward. We tend to do what Moses did where we're looking at ourselves thinking, I don't have what it takes. I'm not enough, right? When we get in those stressful moments in our life and we're going through hard times, we begin to turn inward rather than turning upward, rather than looking to God. One example could be a body image, right? When we feel like we are not enough, 
when we compare ourselves to others and our, our nose is too big. I wish I was built like this person, right? I wish my ears were smaller. The list could go on and on. And we begin to look at ourselves inwardly, right? And we have these body image issues rather than looking to God and understanding that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and marvelous are his works. God hasn't called you to be somebody else's body. God has called you to be a good steward of the body that he has given you. But what do we do? We tend to look inwardly and it becomes all about us and we see all these images and we don't measure up rather than looking to the, the word of God and to who God is and to understanding that you, each one of you sitting in this room today are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every day that I walk into my office, which is formerly Bob's office, and I sit down in that chair, I am overwhelmingly aware that I don't belong in that chair. I get it. I feel what Moses feels every day. I can never, and I'm not saying this to get pity from you, I will never be the pastor Bob is, right? He is a great pastor. I love him, right? He is my pastor. But I, every day that I walk into his old office, I feel the weight of what Moses is saying, that I am not enough, that I am not gifted, that I am not these things. And what do I have to do to get out of that funk? I've got to take my eyes off of Steve and I've got to put my eyes on God and say, God, you are able, right? As you sustained Bob for 42 years, you're the same God that Bob followed and I, I follow you just like Bob followed God and by his grace, you'll sustain me as well. Amen. And so I want you to know this is not some distant Moses experience. This is something, and I believe every one of you could say the same thing about your life. But here's the thing, God never promises to take away Moses' insecurities. You never see God saying, you know what, I'm gonna not make you feel like you're not enough, like you're not smart enough. He never says he's gonna take away his insecurities. You know what he does do though? He does something better. He promises Moses himself. And when you don't feel like you're enough, remember God's presence. Remember God's name. Remember God's power. Remember God's help. And remember God's provision. Take your eyes off of yourself. Students, listen to me. You live in a culture that tells you, look, you're sufficient. You've got enough. I think adults in this room would tell you, you're not sufficient. You don't have enough. But you set your eyes on God and you know who God is and you follow after God and you will be enough because God is enough. Let's end the book. Moses' journey back to Egypt. And God's faithfulness. So verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and finally Moses does the right thing. He, he says to his father-in-law, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro says to Moses, go in peace. And so Moses gets his wife and his daughter and they head back to the land and his wife and his boys, and they head back to the land of Egypt. 
He dialogues with Moses a little bit in verses 21 through 23. And he says, when you go before Pharaoh, you're going to talk about this idea of my firstborn, that I'm going to harden his heart. And we're going to talk more about this later in the story. But he says, the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn. And I say to you, let my son go that they may serve me. So he's introducing this idea of sonship. In the text, this idea that will come later, we'll talk about in the New Testament, adoption into God's family. And so he's, he's introducing this concept of that Israel is his firstborn. And then in verses 24 through 26, you have one of the strangest verses in all of scripture. If you read through the text before you came today, you should read that and be like, I am so confused. And I am so confused, right? Like even in the study of it, here's how the text goes. So they're heading back to Egypt, being obedient to God's call. And it says this in verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to put him to death. Like what? <laughs> okay. We just had all this experience of Moses and the birth and Moses and, and how he went to Midian and now you're calling him back and all these excuses and now you're thinking about putting him to death? Like, what's going on? Well, it says in verse 25, then Sipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. This is very fun. So he left him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So what in the world, right, is going on in these three verses? Have we gotten off tr track or what? So there's a couple of different views in which people had of this. Some believe that Moses and his wife Zipporah are having a domestic dispute, okay? And so some issues are going on in his family. And they would say, because you read later in the text, Moses sends his wife and boys back to Jethro. And when they finally leave Egypt, his wife and boys come meet up with him. So they think this could be the situation that caused this to happen. Or the other view is that, again, in Moses' life, a woman steps in and does the right thing, right? Like we've seen earlier, Pharaoh's daughter, his mom, his sister, the midwives. Another woman steps in and does the right thing for Moses in this circumcision. So let me just give you, I wrote a paragraph because I don't want to butcher this, no pun intended. I just want to, uh, here, here's how it goes. I shouldn't use that word when you're talking about circumcision. A clear, <laughs> a clear requirement of the Abrahamic covenant was that every male child was to be circumcised. We find this in Genesis 17, 10. This was how they were identified as the children of Israel. If a, if a boy child was not circumcised, they were to be cut off from the family. So the Bible says that Moses becomes ill, that it sought to put him to death. So we don't know if Moses is having a seizure, if something's going on in his life in this moment that would cause him to all of a sudden, we know, we know it's God, but, but what made him ill? So Sipporah, his wife, realizes that it is because he's been disobedient to God by not circumcising his son, Eliza. So because Moses is sick and can't do it, his wife performs the circumcision and then throws the foreskin at Moses and he immediately gets better. So she applies the blood of her son onto Moses. 
Moses is then right with God through the shedding of blood. So now he can move forward as the mediator for God between Pharaoh and the people, right? Because of the shedding of blood, he is now right with God. So at the heart of this is that obedience matters in the eyes of God, even if you are Moses. Every area of our life will be brought into account with God. And so Moses had not been obedient in the circumcision of his son and God notices it and God is judging him for it and his wife steps in and does the right thing because Moses can't and because she does the right thing and applies the blood to him, Moses is healed and can continue to be the mediator which is maybe in a way pointing us to what Jesus would do for us where the Bible says because of the shedding of his blood we have remission of sins right maybe it's pointing us to what Jesus would do on the cross for us by his death on the cross the shedding of his blood so there you go one of the strangest verses in all of Exodus maybe even all of the Bible then verse 27 Moses or Aaron comes onto the scene Moses and Aaron meet up Aaron becomes his sidekick and they go to the people and they begin to go before Pharaoh or they go to the people of, of, of Israel first. They tell him what God is doing and then it ends in chapter four and verse 31 in this way. And the people believed. Remember how we ended in chapter two? They're crying out to God. They're asking God to rescue them. That's how we end in chapter two, prayer. We end chapter four with worship. They believed God. And when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worship. Help is here, right? He's come. Our deliverer has come. God has heard our prayer. Help has come, but I want you to know that things are about to get a lot worse for the children of Israel before things will start to get better. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the humanity of Moses. I thank you that as you inspired him to write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that as he was writing and pinning his story, that you would allow him to write in the dark side of his story, not just the good things. So that we could clearly see that you're a God who uses imperfect people. That you're a God who takes our excuses and turns our attention to you. And so Lord, I pray today that we would go from this place with our eyes set on you. I pray for the person in the room today who has never put their faith and trust in you alone for their salvation. They, have, they keep looking inwardly and they think they're not enough. And the reality is they're not enough, but you are enough. And so I pray today that you would draw their hearts to you. 
and that they would see your grace and that even in their unwillingness to, to follow you, that you provided for them in the person of Jesus Christ. And may they say yes to you today. And for those of us who put our faith and trust in you, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to repent of the sin of pride, of looking at ourselves. And I pray that we would walk in humility this week by keeping our eyes on you. And know those moments that Satan sneaks in and whispers in our ear, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not fit. You're not smart enough. May your voice speak louder. May it be a megaphone in our ears. I pray for that person who's struggling today with suicidal thoughts or depression and they feel the weight of what Moses feels. They feel that most days when they get up. Lord, would you, with your gentle and lowly heart, would you lift them up to you today? Would you give them the grace that they so desperately need? Would you give them hope that you are with them, that you are for them, that you have a plan for their life and you're gonna provide for them, even if it's minute by minute, you're gonna provide exactly what they need. So help them to not lose heart. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your direction today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to antiochbbc.org. That's Antioch bbc.org God's best to you